Morning, church. It's an honor to be with you today. I uh, want to say happy birthday to Christina. 14 was happy birthday. She's 14. Do you remember what it was to be 14? I do. It was awesome. I loved 14. It's a long time ago. It's going to be a great year, Christina. We're honored that you're here with us and um, all the birthdays that come up when we celebrate Lennon and Caleb next week, right? So many others. I want to say welcome to the Schaefer family. It's wonderful to have you here. It's, uh, uh, you know, when you guys come back, it's just like home again. And just really, really grateful that you're here. And it's like Dominici sitting in the service with us. Dude, like, <sighs> he's that old, you guys. Like, man, this is happening. But it's a blessing to have you here. I'm honored um, that you're with us today. And I just want to say how honored I've been all week that uh, you guys have just poured out your love and your compassion, your support, your encouragement on our family. It has been a tough week, but a beautiful week when you sit back and you just kind of think, wow, the impact that dad had and um, all of you have had on dad, you know, like on, on him and on our family and uh, the incredible legacy that is left here. Uh, it is my privilege today to talk a little bit about that legacy. We are going to kind of postpone Matthew for a couple of weeks, and we'll get right back into it because uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount right now, and I think y'all know that's like my dad's one of my dad's favorite passages in all of Scripture. So we're going to get back to it. But um, in the meantime, we just thought we ought to do a little bit of reflection. And so I'm going to do some of that today, and maybe I'll do it a little bit of Pastor Don style by um, beginning with... What, what, how did my dad begin nearly every prayer he ever prayed in this place? So, you know, this is Pastor Don style, which requires you to raise your hand and tell me. And I'll call the people who I think are wrong first. No, I'm just kidding. How did he begin nearly every prayer he ever prayed? You can all say it together. Yep. Thank you, Lord for loving us. This, the fact that dad even said, thank you, Lord, for loving us. I don't know if you know what a miracle that was. Because as Precious said, she never knew the love of a father. That was not something my dad was well acquainted with either. And his revelation that anyone loved him, much less the God of the universe, loved him, was nothing short of miraculous and the way that he loved Precious and me and all of us was a further miracle. Because as we know, in our culture, in our society, somebody who is raised without love typically goes on to what? Not love. And yet, Dad loved well and very often. In fact, um, years ago, I was, I was writing something and it was about my dad, or at least it was inspired by dad. And I was looking to describe the love of God and the love of my father, and I was trying to say that it was unconditional love. And I wanted to, because, you know, when you're writing, you're not supposed to use the same word over and over, right? So I was looking for synonyms for unconditional. 
<clears throat> and along my way, I, was, I had a friend helping, and she pulled out a thesaurus, and she started listing words for unconditional love. And she found the word unqualified. And I remember going, unqualified? That, that doesn't make sense. That unqualified. I think of unqualified as lacking qualifications, right? Because that's what it means. If you are unqualified for something, you do not have what is necessary to do that task, that job, because you're unqualified. And it does mean that. But it also means there are no qualifications. In other words, God's love for you is unqualified because he doesn't put any qualifications on it for you. There are no, there's nothing you have to do, there's nothing you have to achieve, there's nothing you have to be in order to receive the unqualified love of the Father. Isn't that neat? And so I wrote something for my dad on unqualified love. And I preached um, one of the very first sermons I ever preached. Brittany's nodding. She remembers it. I preached called unqualified love. And it was this idea that I am unqualified. I do not have the qualifications that are necessary to do the task that God has put before me. And yet... His unqualified love for me qualifies me. It prepares me for that job. It prepares me for that task. It gives me everything I need to be able to carry out the job that God has given. And I believe with all my heart, my dad is the best representative of somebody who was unqualified, and yet the Lord qualified him. The Lord's unqualified love provided for him the, everything that he needed to preach and to teach and to pastor and to lead and to love. All right, another Pastor Don question. What was my, who was my father's favorite biblical character? Anyone know? Okay, David's a good guess, right? He preached a lot about David. David, the apple of God's eye. David, the, the ancestor of Messiah, right? Peter? Peter's a good guess. I think Dad probably identified with Peter a little bit. I know I do. Peter's one of my favorite characters because he's so awesome and yet he's so flawed, right? Wasn't Peter. Wasn't Paul. Paul makes sense too, right? Paul the apostle. Paul who had everything going for him in the Jewish world, right? The Benjamite in, who there was, in whom there was no guile. He was a wonderful representative of Jesus going through all the world, laying everything down, learning to be content in everything, every situation, right? Paul would be great. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't, it, Jesus is his absolute favorite. <laughs> Precious is over here saying Jesus. I should have led with it. Besides Jesus, who was his favorite human being in the biblical character? Daniel? Isaac? Isaiah? What did you say, Pastor Rodney? It's Jonathan. <laughs> I was ignoring the ones I knew was right, just like Dad always did. It's Jonathan. And some of y'all are going, wait, what did Jonathan do again? Why would it be Jonathan? I said David makes sense, right? Because David was the apple of God's eye. David is the king. But who was Jonathan? Well, we know that Jonathan is the son of Saul, 
King Saul, the first king of Israel, the king who had it all going for him, right? He was chosen because of his qualifications. He was tall. He was good looking. He was admired. He was wealthy. He was from a a good family with good pedigree. Saul was a king, a king's king, the man chosen specifically because of his qualifications. And yet we know that Saul was not a man after God's heart. But Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan knew the Lord, and he loved David. And Jonathan knew that David was going to be king after Saul, not Jonathan. In fact, so much so that Jonathan dedicated his life to making sure that David would be king. Now let's think about the ramifications of that, because Jonathan was the qualified one, right? He was the qualified son of the king who would be the one who would, it would make most sense to take over. He, everything that Saul had going for him, Jonathan had going for him presumably as well. He was likely tall and good looking. He certainly came from a good family and he was wealthy and all of that, right? And Jonathan loved the Lord. So he was like the one who should be king in place of King Saul. And yet, God called David, and Jonathan knew it. And Jonathan laid aside his qualifications so he could support the true king. Now let's think about that. We often look at the life, the lives of uh, the life of David, right? And we go, "Oh, we see Jesus all in there, don't we? The mighty man of valor, the 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 one who would be king, the one who loved the Lord so much that he would spend hours in his presence and he would worship him." And right, this David makes sense when we think of Jesus. But do we think of Jonathan? Because Jesus was very much like Jonathan. John chapter 13, which was actually my devotions for today, and I was reflecting on this. It says in verse 3 that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. John 13 is what? Just before what event takes place? The crucifixion. This is at the final dinner that Jesus has with his disciples. And it says that God had given all things into Jesus' hands. And what does Jesus do with all things? It then says that he had come from God and was going back to God. Before the crucifixion, Jesus knows that he comes from God, that he's going to God. It doesn't mention that he also knows what's happening in the middle. But he does, right? He knows he's coming from God. He knows all things have been given to his hands. He knows he will eventually go back to God. And he also knows that in the middle, he's going to be killed. And what does he do with all of that knowledge? He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel and he tied it around his waist. And what does he do after this? He washes the disciples' feet like a servant, like a slave, right? Knowing that he had come from God and that he was going to God, knowing that God had given all things into his hands, what does he do with that? 
He acts like a slave and he serves. And I see Jonathan there when Jonathan in 1 Samuel 23 says, my dad knows that you're going to be next, the next king. My dad knows this and he's afraid of it. But me, I'm not afraid of it. I'm going to be right there next to you. I'm going to serve you. I know you're king. And this is what Jesus is doing, right? He's laying aside who he is. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, y'all know, it's, it's my favorite, right? But in, in Philippians 2, in verse 6, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross right? This is Jesus who says, I know how I am. I, I know I come from God. I know to, I'm going to God. I know God has given all things in my hand, and yet I'm going to empty all of that. I'm going to let all of that go, take the form of a servant, come and serve men, even to the point of dying. And that's, I think, one of the reasons my dad loved Jonathan so much. And that's what I see in my dad. I see this desire to be both David and to be Jonathan. Now, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. And I just want to go back and talk about where we came from. Where did Community Gospel Church come from? The glorious history that we have here. Um, there were so many things. I, I spent a lot of time talking to my mom and so many things I didn't even know and I grew up here. So this is kind of exciting. The reason um, the elders um, thought we should do this in part was because on Monday night we had women's group. Um, yes, it's at Panera. I know that feels weird, but it's cool, guys. You should come. Or girls. Girls, you should come. Guys, don't come. Um, but it's a neat time and we sit around and we sip tea because it's too late for coffee. And uh, we enjoy time with one another. We have um, our youngest is 20 and our oldest is um, older than 20. <laughs> the grandmother of the 20-year-old. <laughs> and it's a beautiful time. 77? No joke. She's 77. Okay. There we go. She doesn't act 77. She's really cool. It's a good time. But anyway, um, we just kind of got reflecting this past week and chatting about... Um, where, where we came from. And it's a good thing to know where we come from, isn't it? Isn't it? Because it's a good indication of where we're going. So um, a little bit of my, my own family's personal history, um, this comes from my mom. And she'll correct me, but she'll correct me after the service, not during the service. So I'll have to give a disclaimer that maybe next week i got to get up and fix a couple things. But um, my mom attended Hartwick College. And mom was here in 1970, 70, 71. And... Um, Pastor Rodney was at Suco at the same time, correct? And mom um, was offered the opportunity one night to either go to a kegger or to go to a Christian meeting. And being an unbeliever and not knowing anything about Christ, she chose to go to the Christian meeting because she figured it was a better alternative to the kegger she was invited to. And uh, in 1971, she went to a campus ambassadors meeting up on Hartwick campus and through that uh, ministry, she came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Over that summer, over that, you know, the rest of the year and into the summer, she was serving the Lord. And when she came back 
um, after her freshman summer. She came back for her sophomore year. One of the friends, his name was John Ellis, had been um, attending CA with her, and he, she noticed that the summer had passed and he was a little bit different. And so she asked him, John, what's different about you? And reluctantly, because in those days it was a little bit more shocking for people, reluctantly he said that he had been filled with the Spirit over the summer and that he had been introduced to a group called Fisherman's Wharf, an appropriately hippie name come from the um, Azusa Street revivals in San Francisco, and Fisherman's Wharf was meeting on the SUNY Oneonta campus. And, um, well, I think you were meeting in a home, potentially. Pastor Rodney was there. Um, I believe Pat Follett was there as well. And um, they were meeting in the home of a man named Sandy Smith. And Mom began to attend this meeting, was filled with the Holy Ghost. And, um, you know, they began to rock the world, or at least rock Oneonta. Uh, Meanwhile, at the same time, my dad had gotten also radically saved and had landed in a teen challenge program, which was an alcohol and drug rehabilitation program out, and this one was out in Los Angeles, California. So he was out there. Um, Mom was over here a long ways away from one another. Um, After learning about Jesus throughout her college career, Mom decided that serving him full-time in ministry was where she wanted to go, and she actually went to a service where she heard about the, the group Teen Challenge. Didn't know my dad, obviously, at the time, but found out that there was such a group and um, ended up working for this group and through a series of event ended, events ended up in Riverside, California. Was working there in uh, writing their newsletter and getting out word about what they were doing and raising money for their organization. And my dad, who had gone through the program in LA and was clean and sober and um, now dynamically serving the Lord, was transferred to Riverside to be the dean of men. My mom, my dad quickly fell in love with my mother. My mother reluctantly, no, just slowly, slowly came around to the idea of this, you know, big, charismatic, gregarious, fun preacher man. And uh, in 1975, they were married. And married in Riverside, California, and came across country visiting family along the ways and enjoying their honeymoon and ultimately came back to Oneonta to see her friends at Fisherman's Wharf and some family that lived in the area. And when she came to Oneonta, they stayed with um, Sandy Smith and his, his wife's name was Sandy Smith too. So Sandy and Sandy. And Sandy and Sandy were meeting at this time in their home regularly as a, a church. And uh, some of the names mom threw at me, whereas Diane was there by then, right, Diane? And um, Jeff and Joanne Staples. Vicki and Steve Judd were there. Rich and Liz Wanzer. Uh, uh, Levenways were there. Oh, I think Fisherman's Wharf first met in Burt Levenways' room, didn't it? Yeah, so it started meeting at Burt Levenways. So some of you remember the Levenways. Um, I think Mrs. Smith was there. Is, was Suzanne there at that time? Not at that time. Okay. Uh, Karen Elliott, were you there? By the, not yet? Okay. We weren't, I was, I was asking mom, who was there then? And she was like, gosh, I don't remember who came when, but 
um, a lot of uh, um, those were the folks uh, meeting at Sandy Smith's house. And um, when mom and dad came over for a visit, they said to my dad, well, we're, we want to start an actual church service. Would you consider being our pastor? And dad and mom at that time were um, pretty content at Teen Challenge and did not feel the Lord leading them away from Riverside, California. I have to tell you, um, I took my children out to Riverside, California in 2017. We went to the Teen Challenge. It, it's a castle, a literal castle. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And my children walked around Teen Challenge and went, why on earth did Pa and Grandma leave this place? I don't know. And she, they, my kids go, we could have grown up here. And I went, no, you couldn't. You wouldn't be here if I, if I grew up here. You would not have, because you would not be here. But at any rate, it, Riverside's a beautiful place. And it was a beautiful castle, and they were pretty happy there. So they declined the position and went back to California. My dad went on to receive his minister's license out there at that time. And in 1976, the following year, they came back to Oneonta to visit. My dad, along the way, thought, I really think I'm called to this pastor thing. But he didn't say anything to my mom at the time um, until they got here. And again, they were fellowshipping um, with the, the, the growing congregation. And Sandy Smith once again offered dad the position. And then my dad shared it with my mom, said, you know, should we take this? And they went back to Teen Challenge and spoke with the directors and to a person the directors and leaders over at, um, at Riverside Teen Challenge thought this is what God had for my parents. And so they came back to Oneonta. The sacrifice, guys. You just don't even know the sacrifice. So on October 20th, 1976, they moved to Oneonta and began to minister at the Calvary Pentecostal Fellowship Calvary Pentecostal, that was the original name of this congregation. How do you like that? For $25 a month, they rented the basement of the Knights of Columbus building, which was this building. So they rented the basement downstairs for $25 a month. Um, at that time, Al Shear, a name many of you know, he, worked, he was attending the First Baptist right across the street, and uh, he had his children in the youth group there, but they didn't have a youth pastor. So um, was it Ray Tummelston invited my dad and mom to, youth, to be the youth pastors over there? And they began to serve in the youth group. They, mom said they quickly determined youth were not their cup of tea, so they didn't stay there long. But she loves youth. Don't get me wrong. She loves youth. Just not necessarily pastoring them <laughs> directly. So... Um, they, at that time, began to rent a couple of classrooms over at the First Baptist, which is now the Jewish Community Center across the street. They were upstairs in a couple of classrooms. And um, at the time, they started growing. And it was pretty quick before they outgrew completely the, the two classrooms that they were meeting. Um, it was shortly after that that Sandy left, and with him he took the name Calvary Pentecostal, so they changed the name to Community Gospel Church. Um, some guys, Al Shear and um, Dr. Robert Barstow and Federico Saralima, they owned a bookstore in Oneonta over by uh, where like the Lord's Table is over on Elm Street. They, um, they bought a bookstore, and they turned it in, they made it a Christian bookstore, and they offered my dad a position there. And so many of the early um, members of this congregation would 
come because they would walk into the, into the bookstore and begin a conversation with my dad, including people like Walter Tchaikovsky. Um, I think maybe Judy Visnowski came from that time. And uh, a, a special lady, oh, that was where Karen came from. All right. Spent a lot of time in that bookstore. <laughs> and uh, a lady by the name of Fran Beldanza walked in one day and struck up a conversation with dad. She had just, she and Al had just moved here from Long Island and were looking for a church to become part of. And she said to dad, hey, you know any full gospel churches around here? And he goes, actually, I do. Funny you should ask. And he likes to say that when Fran and her family entered the church that they doubled the size of the church instantly, which is slight exaggeration because there was only up to Dan at that point. So it couldn't have doubled the church. But you took a, you took a row is what I heard. Okay, so they were actually people who were living out at the farm at the time. Aunt Fran was operating Maranatha Ministries out on um, her farm out in East Meredith and taking in runaways and people who had addictions and stuff and ministering to them. And that would be a whole sermon we should preach another time. All the miracles that happened out on the farm. And uh, yes, yeah, so it was not just the Beldanzas, it was two other families coming with them. And so many of y'all in here in Navalanos Canyons, I think you came alongside them, didn't you? Along with the Baldanzas. So, um, yeah, so uh, at that time, um, there was uh, starting to outgrow the classrooms across the street. And um, soon after, the, the full gospel businessmen, Dr. Bresto, um, Al Shear, they joined with the church. And then Harry Hawley and Kermit Conroe came along, um, probably through them. I'm not even totally sure. We have to ask them that. But at, the sa- at this time, this is, you know, the late 70s, uh, the Knights of Columbus made it known to Sandy Smith that they were selling their building. And um, Al, who was on the elder board at the time, Al Baldanza, suggested that they offer $10,000 to the Knights of Columbus for the purchase of this building and $5,000 for the contents. And the elders were like, really? There's no way. There's no way they will take $15,000 for that building and everything in it. And I was like, hey, why don't, why don't we ask? doesn't hurt to ask, right? And the elders were like, well, sure, we don't have $15,000, but I guess we'll ask. And if they are crazy enough to accept a $15,000 bid, then we'll, you know, trust God to provide it. And so they offered $15,000. The Knights of Columbus accepted it. And an anonymous donor in the church gave $10,000 right off the bat. And then the church was able to raise up the rest of the funds. And, um, this is 1979 when they bought this building. I, it was my understanding, I was two, so I don't remember this, but it was my understanding that the walls were, that the ceilings were dark, that the walls were olive green, that this is just a mess in here. The downstairs was like a recreational center. There was like, it was horrible, says Karen. There were like, um, Hopscotch tiles in the floor, you guys. Okay, y'all, Ben, Christiana, we remember this, right? They were, yep. The hopscotch tiles in the floor, or shuffleboard. It was shuffleboard, not hopscotch. We used it as hopscotch. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> what was over the windows? Siding over the windows. 
All the trim was painted. I mean, it was, it was disgusting. The, the carpet wasn't here. It was wood floors. Um, and the church bought it and they began to renovate it. Um, Rodney installed the fans. Am I right? Oh no, he's, you're wrong, mom. Sorry. Who did? Lou Foot. So Dan and Lee Foot. And Rodney painted the ceiling, the white. Um, Walter Tchaikovsky painted the walls. I, I helped paint the walls, y'all. There is, there is a photographic proof that my three-year-old self painted some of these walls. Or at least they put a paintbrush in my hand. I don't really know what I did with it. What? Yep. So mom took forever, I mean, just years of painstakingly stripping all of the paint to reveal the original woodwork uh, around the... Uh, around all the trim. It was, it was a labor of love for the congregation in 1979, and everybody had ownership in it. And within just a couple of years, the church went from being, um, you know, a few people meeting in a dorm room to a few people, few more people meeting in a home to a few more people meeting in a basement to a few more people meeting in two classrooms to about 300 people meeting in this building. Yes, Aunt Fran. I won't forget Chuck Budney. Always sitting in the front row. <laughs> okay, so I remember that. I was probably five or six when Chuck Budney went through the floor. And in my little mind, I concocted the fact that he had gone all the way to the basement. And when I would walk into church and see Chuck Bundy there walking and, and okay, I wondered how he had survived the crash into the basement. But yes, the, the building was, you know, he didn't go that far. How far did he go? You said to his waist? About thigh. He just fell on the thigh. Yeah, so yes, the building needed some help, and we helped it. <laughs> a lot of help over the years. It, it does? Right here? The second <laughs> There's a little dip, yes. Yes, I think it's funny, you know, the, this, the history of this building. So in 1981, uh, the elders decided to start a Christian school here. And they called it Community Gospel Christian School. And um, spearheaded by Fran convincing Dad that he needed to have a Christian school. And it is funny because I'm looking around and seeing the faces that um, were here either in a teaching capacity or in a, um, a student capacity. I was a student and then a teacher. And it is funny how this building, we are so familiar with every nook and cranny of this building, aren't we, guys? Like, you know, it's... If you ever come in here on a youth group and you see the, the kids will, I probably shouldn't rat them out, but they'll pull up the grate and stick their feet down into the heat because it gets really cold in here. And when I was a kid at the Christian school, we wore dresses three days a week and we were cold all the time. And so we had to stick our feet in the heat in order to get warm in this sanctuary. So, you know, I mean, like you just look around and there's, there's fingerprints of of congregants, of, of adults and kids all over the place, and it's, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that was the start of this congregation, and I could go on and tell you of God's blessings over the years. 
since 1976 when dad got here, since 1979 when we bought this place, since 1981 when we started the school. I'm going to turn it over right now to Pastor Rodney, who's going to kind of give you his take on the, on the history and on some of his things, but it just, I just, it just felt appropriate to maybe go back and for some of you who are somewhat new to this congregation, share a little bit of where we came from and who did it. So Pastor Rodney, come on up. Jackie, when did you get here? Spring of 83? Yep, I remember going to Brazil and sewing with you or watching you sew over there. And Vera, when did you get here? 87? Yeah, long time, long time. Hallelujah. Talk about memories, my goodness. Whew. I remember the walls in here that Amy was talking about. They were green, but they had slime on them. <laughs> From years and years of people smoking in the basement and doing bingo. And we had to wash them with water. We used tri-sodium phosphate and cleaned them off before we painted them. Pastor Don, by the way, had a roller that was 18 feet long and he'd stand on the floor and go right up to the ceiling <laughs> doing the walls. I remember that. So the floor was an old uh, pine floor. Walter Tchaikovsky and I sanded it and we and we polyed it and it looked beautiful and we didn't have money we had very little money when we were doing all this stuff we believed God for everything we did right Jackie everything and the Lord gave me a, a, a garage downtown that somebody wanted ripped down so I'd work full-time and then go over there on the weekends and at nighttime and rip this garage down and bring it over here and use the boards for the floor that's underneath this, <laughs> you know? And originally when we redid this, there was a little stage there and the rest of it was all floor and it was so unlevel from... In the original building, there was a, a choir thing that went up three levels. So I had to rip all that out, and it was a mess. And we fixed all that. And it took a work, a lot of work. But when you, when, you, when you put love and work in something, it becomes part of you. You know, and... Not only you, but everybody that was working with you at the time. Walter and I worked together quite a bit doing this. And Pastor was here a lot. And I remember we were up painting the ceiling. The ceiling was, was brown, really porous stuff. And I got a two-foot roller because one of these little ones just didn't cut it. <laughs> and I... 
I'm up there on a scaffold painting the ceiling and the scaffold starts to shake. And I thought, oh boy, what is going on here? And about a minute later, Dr. Bob Barstow sticks his head over top. And I said, well, what are you doing here? And he says, I came to help. And he stood up there and helped me paint all afternoon. We did a lot of it in the afternoon. But you put paint on it, and it turned brown again. And put put the kind of paint that takes stain away, and it, and it turned brown. So he got another coat of paint, and we put that on it, and it turned brown again. And the third time, it covered it. A lot of work. Anyway, memories. I remember the the meetings behind what Amy was talking about today when we when we uh, merged the two two groups together. Being an elder in the church, we we talked about all that stuff and made decisions about all that stuff. And and uh, I remember meeting with Bob and and uh, Al and. And Alfred, Fred, Federico, that's a hard word for me. And coming to a decision that we should join together and, and our elders meeting doubled in size. They all became elders with us. And yeah, I was, that was, it's on my list. So one of the guys was a, was a, uh, postman, and he, he only could meet at four in the morning. So we had elders meetings at four in the morning, and I remember I remember Carol coming to those four o'clock ones once in a while. Carol Moonen back there, or not Carol Moonen, Carol Hoster, and, and Waylon. Now I think that was a long time ago, and uh, we had some really really cool meetings at four o'clock in the morning. I was reading through the archives that I have home last night. Those meetings were spirit-filled, to say the least. We, we, we get together and we worship first, worship quite a bit first, and wait on the Lord for, for direction and words and... and uh, There's so much there. I found a word that Pastor Don did on 10-4-1979. And I thought I'd read it to you because it touched my heart pretty, pretty strongly last night. I love, my, I love how Pastor loved the Word of God. I just love the Word of God. And if you, if you listen closely to this, you'll hear the Word of God through the whole thing. It says in my Word that where my spirit is, there is liberty. A liberty that the world does not understand, 
nor can they understand because they are alienated from the life because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. But you know and understand and perceive with your spirits and even with your understanding and intellect that my spirit produces great liberty. It is my desire to magnify that li the liberty which my gospel preaches, which my gospel delivered, which my son, which I sent to preach this great liberty. It is my desire to magnify this in your individual lives and the lives of your family and in the working one with another. It is my desire for you to operate together in liberty and in love, speaking the truth in love one to another, sharing your lives, sharing the Christ that is within you, my son that is within you, one with another in fellowship and true harmony and love, and you will experience the liberty which my spirit is there right now in your midst to give you, saith the Lord. This is, he added another one a little while later in this meeting. This was an elders meeting. I call on you to look to me. I call on you to look to me with expectation, expectancy. Expectancy in every day of your existence. Looking to me for a miracle within your families. Looking to me for a miracle every single day of your life looking to me for a miracle in your job, look for me to, for a miracle with your friends, look to me for a miracle in your fellowship. I call on you to look to me with expectancy, even as you get together to discuss your business of your fellowship, for my fellowship, my business. I call on you to look to me and expect a miracle. Don't Come expecting bad things, but come expecting good things. Come expecting my name to be glorified. Come expecting to minister to me. I call on you to look to me with expectancy. Expecting good things, not bad things. Expecting to see me do great and mighty things that you know it's not. Expect good things, not bad things, says the Lord, and I call on you to look to me for great and mighty things. I call on you to look to me with expectancy. Expect good things to happen. Expect good things to happen amongst yourselves, saith the Lord. I think uh, when the Lord says something more than once, it's, 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 it's a, uh, it's a clue that he really wants that to happen. And he said that, I don't know how many times he said that in there. Expect good things, not bad things. And we had many meetings like that in the elders' times at 4 o'clock in the morning. Many times we had meetings like that. I have a pile about that thick of the papers to go with that, with that time period. I, I just want to, 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 to 
share my gratefulness for the amount of work and, 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 and things that Pastor gave us. He gave us, he gave us what he called the school, school of the Spirit. It started in 1979, before my oldest son was born. In August, I think it was August 11th, started. And uh, I have a notebook that's literally that thick, sitting in my, at home, I was looking at it last night, of all the, all the scriptures that we memorized and all the teachings that, that, that he taught us in that book. And I will never be the same because of what's in that book and what he shared with my heart. He changed my life forever. When you're in the Word of God, as much as he was in the Word of God, it changes your life forever. And he put this fire in my, in my heart that has never burned out. It just gets stronger and brighter and bigger all through my life. And I, I'm so grateful. I'm eternally grateful for the amount of love that he showed me over the years. My wife, my kids. Every time we, we ask him to do something, he served with love. There were times when we went through really hard times and we couldn't even turn around and he would be there. He was there for us. And I just think uh, one of the things he loved was meetings. Loved to get together and, and play games. He loved to get together and worship. I remember Ron Perry coming here and, and Eddie Duncan, some of his friends from California. And we had a meeting and the Holy Spirit came down in that meeting. And I think it was when we were still maybe over in the other building over there. And I remember Eddie Duncan coming up to me and touching my head. And down I went, poof. Right on the floor. Because of the anointing that was there that day. I went right through about five people behind me. And and we got done with that meeting and the pastor says, let's go to somebody's house and, and, and have some food and fellowship. And Al Shear opened his house up. We went over there. And we were there all afternoon. I remember Amy Amy being there worshiping with the guys and the girls and, and, and just loving it, singing at the top of her lungs. She's like three years old or something like that. And I remember that like yesterday. It was such a blessing. Such a blessing all the time. He had a famous, he had a favorite verse about Vision for the church. I don't know if you guys remember this. I remember asking in the elders meeting year after year, what's the vision for this year? And he says, says this is Ephesians 4, 
4.16, I believe, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual measure and the working of every part, makes increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That was his vision for the church. That's what he wanted. And I, I believe that's, that's, uh, that's, that was so evident over the years that that happened. And, and last week we were talking a, a lot about family, about being a big family. And it felt like that a lot. We had a, a place down the, down the street where some of the young ladies lived. I think Karen Smith lived there for a while called Koinonia. Koinonia is, is, is <laughs> fellowship, I believe. It's a word for fellowship. And I remember meetings in there that were just incredible. We just went there and hung out and worshiped. Walter Tchaikovsky went, I went, and took, yeah, even that, we did that there so for a while. We did it at Don's house up on the hill, and we did it. We did it at my house once in a while, and all over the place. But anyway, uh, another thing that that Pastor did for me over the years is he'd get a word from the Lord and give it to me, and it was a personal word for me. But it would be out of the Word of God. And, and when, it, when, when, you, when you get that type of ministry, it changes who you are. I think we need to go, go toward that again. Because God has a word for every one of you. Every one of you. And he wants to give it to you. But a lot of times he wants to use people to do it. He wants you people to speak it into your life. Pastor Don gave me a word about Moses that I still think about. He says, he, 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 he said that I was like Moses, that I, that I talked to the Lord face to face. And it's true. And, and it, one of my, this is, this is so cool. One of my first inclinations as a Christian was to be like Moses. I went to see Moses in the Ten Commandments with my mother about a, two or three weeks after I got the Holy Spirit. And it was a movie, but it was four hours long and mostly Word of God. And I remember sitting in the movie theater and the Holy Spirit was praying in me so hard that I didn't want to be a, a pain to people. And I'm trying to keep it really, really low. But it's going so hard that it's hard for me to do it. And, and for four hours I did that. And I remember my mother when I came out of the theater said, Roddy, what is the matter with you? But, but it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit in me. 
And I and I I remember I had an old heavy coat that went down to about here. And I and I I went home one one summer day I thought thought I'm just gonna pretend I'm Moses for the day just for fun. I lived out in the farm area and I put the coat on and I, I found a wood staff about that tall and I walked around I walked around in, in the in the woods behind my dad's house. And I come walking out and I'm walking around the front of my house. And my mo my mother's sister comes up the driveway. And and she's getting out of her car and she's walking up to the house and she looks at me and she said, Oh, you look like Moses. I thought you were Moses for a minute. You know, and Pastor Don says, Through the Spirit of God, I give that. You're, you're, you're like my servant Moses. You, you, most people have to hear the word or, or read the word, but I will give you the word face to face. And it changed my life forever. Another word he gave me is when the Lord turns the captivity of Zion, you will be like those that dream. Then shall your, your sorrow be, be turned to joy and your tongue to singing. And it goes on. But the whole word, he changed you to, to Rodney in there. Psalm 126, I think. And that changed my life. And there was a lot of other ones. But I just think when you see the passion that's in the, the word that, that I read to you, he had passion for Jesus. We need to have passion for Jesus. We need to get back to where we're, where we're, where we're going all out. Not the, the, the end thing to say now is all in for Jesus. <laughs> you know? And, and I just, I believe that God is good. And, and I had to, I had a, uh, I saw something in his spirit. I had a picture in my spirit last week when we were in service that I think I should share with you guys. Last week's service to me was really special. The worship was incredibly good. And in the middle of worship, I believe when, when you get a vision from the Lord sometimes, the Lord kind of opens a window. The circle will open up. And I saw a circle open up in my spirit. I didn't see it with my eyes. I saw it in my spirit. And I, and I realized that God can open up the heavens and and show people in heaven what's going on down here if he wants to.
And I saw a pastor looking down at us worshiping and being so, so blessed by it. And, and I just think that we have an eternal hope of glory. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's an awesome thing. And I just, I could go on for a long, long time, but I know I'm getting out of time, so I'd like to finish. Thank you, Pastor Rodney, and for all your years of service, too. It's a beautiful thing. Um, Ken Smith was going to share a little bit today, too, about his memories. But in the interest of time, he's actually going to come back and share at Anchor tonight. So come tonight and hear more. But now I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Chris. So um, just, you know, listening to everybody, testimony is important. Uh, remembering from whence you came. You know, it made me think of the, um, the hymn that uh, Robert Robinson, I think, wrote, Come Thou Fount, right? Where it says in the second verse, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto thy help I am come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He rescued me from danger, interposed his precious blood. The heck's an Ebenezer? It's <laughs> probably what most people think. What in the world is an Ebenezer? Well, and it's a stone of remembrance. They used to do it all the time in the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, you know. And, um, I mean, you had Joshua. Uh, he took up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan and raised them up so they, they would remember from whence they came what the history was. You know, Samuel did the same. Um, it, there's just lots of examples, you know. We do the same thing. We write journals. Rodney read something that was written. Um, we have pictures and photos now. But it reminds us that God will come through, and he's faithful. Um, and, and then every once in a while, I, I, a stupid song keeps going through my head, Seasons Change. It's a terrible song because it's talking about the feelings a guy has for somebody, but seasons change, feelings change. <laughs> but it's just, I'm like, seasons change. Um, and it's important to remember from whence we came. You know, because... Um, the other verse that was coming into my head was, you know, in Colossians, where it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That's Don's story. Once alienated, not knowing what the love of a father was. And he was reconciled, brought into the kingdom, adopted as a precious son. And that's why it's important for us to remember these things. Um, I had the same verse in mind when uh, Ronnie shared it, you know, that... Um, 
in Ephesians 4. It says, you know, if you start at the beginning, it says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and that there's um, to bear one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's the story of our church. You know, and, he, and it says, and he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer will be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, but human cunning by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth and love, we're to grow up in every way into whom... Who, to him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, fitly joined together, by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working, probably makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that was Don's dream, that we would do that. And there's been so many that have gone before us. I mean, I was thinking about, because, I mean, the reason I'm up here. And I did a little reflection last night myself. I'm not going to keep us long. But we have a group of elders. Um, and the reason I'm up here is just to say, you know, there's people you can call on. We have a big hole. A very large hole. <laughs> he was a big guy, big personality. And, and, you know, and he was a pastor to many of us. And so what do we do now? Well, there's been things set up. There are people that are, there's always been uh, a board of elders who have, who have overseen the church and taken care of things. Um, and I was going, just going through and reading, oh, heck, I was reading this passage. I was reading in 1 Timothy uh, three, this says, says this, you know, by saying is trust that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which Don was an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He may be pulled where he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of out by outsiders that he may not fall into grace, into a snare of the devil. And I was reading that because that's our job. And then I get humbled by it. And it humbled Don, too. I mean, how many times have I heard, I don't know if you know this, but there's been so many times when he would, he would be sick to his stomach and ill the whole night before he had to preach. And, I, and now that he encouraged others to uh, stand up here and share, um, I know the weight. And it's not a game. And it's serious. But there are people that have been in, you know, that are there. And so we have elders, and we have a pastoral team that's been put in place, and we're in a season of change. 
but there's people that we can reach out to, people that we can call on um, that are there. Um, there's myself, there's Rodney. Uh, Dick Kenyon is still coming to the Board of Elders meetings. Um, we have um, Mark Miller, uh, Ken Smith. And then we have a pastoral team that within that that have been uh, doing a lot of things, like you know, Amy, myself, Dennis have been taking the brunt of sharing with you guys. Uh, Ronnie's helped with that, others, because it says the elders should be apt to teach. And we don't think about that. A lot of times we think of elders as trustees of a company. And that's true, but it's, there's so much more to that. But there are people that you can call on. Um, you know, if you, if you need counsel, if you need someone to pray with you. I mean, that was what uh, Don was telling about Rodney. Is like, he, Rodney's a guy that will, will stand in the gap with you when you need that. Man given to prayer. You need someone to pray with you? Go to Rodney. You know, if you're a youth... Dennis, he never seems to get older as far as his attitude. <laughs> he, you know, he might look a little rough around the edge as he gets older, but, <laughs> but, you know, the youth will go to him and reach out to him. You know, there's people that we reach to, the women's ministry, you know, with Amy and, and the dance and all that. There's people we can, you can reach out to and, and contact and, and know us. And, and I know that, you know, sometimes we've, with COVID and all the craziness, we didn't express it very well sometimes, that there's a team of people that are always here, that are, that are there when you need them. And it's, and it's a big job. And we want you to pray for us, and we pray for you guys. You know, as elders, you know, we get together, and, and we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to seek direction, and we're supposed to make plans. Yes, we're supposed to figure out what color the paint might be. But that's the least of our issues. I don't care about the carpet so much as I care about you guys. Right? And so that we do become a body that's fitly joined together, supplying each one's needs. Because like I said, I, I, I still love that, that um, the thing that C.S. Lewis used to say about his, his friend, you know, Tolkien, when they, you know, he says when, when he was gone, there was a hole. Yeah, there's a hole because only his friend can bring out something that, that no one else can. So it was like when he said, you know, when his friend passed, he says, it was like I lost my other friend because he didn't react the same, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's different. Those are, those are those things. We all have a part to play. We all have a, uh, um, an investment into the kingdom God's given us apostles and prophets and teachers and those that serve and those that are deacons and those that are elders and those that are pastors and those that are teachers and all those things. And we do this thing together. And seasons change. You know? Uh, and we'll be doing some things. We'll be talking about some things. But I just want, we just wanted you to know that there's a team. And there's people that you can reach out to. Call the church. It is, we might not have a secretary, but that, that phone will send me an email if you leave a message that I really need to talk to somebody. And I can forward that email to anybody. I can call people. And I, you know, that's the beauty of, of electronics and all the, and technology is that we aren't that far away if you need someone to talk to and if you need someone to pray with you or if you just have something on your mind or you have a word from the Lord, you know. All those things. So 
that's it. And, you know, and then we, and as a church, you know, we build each other up. We bring out those Ebenezers, remember from whence we have come, that we were all once alienated. And because of the great work that Jesus Christ did, from, because of his sacrifice, he made a way for us to be brothers and sisters, to serve one another and to hold each other up. And that's what makes it beautiful. Okay? So let's pray and then we'll head into communion. <clears throat> Lord God, we just thank you and we praise you that we can uh, put up our Ebenezers, remember where you have brought us from, and that our steps are ordered by you. And that um, as we head into new seasons, we know that you have set a path, uh, that you will build us up into our holy calling and our holy purpose, which is to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. Because uh, the enemy can't stand to hear our testimony, and it puts him to flight. So we just thank you for what you've done. We just thank you that we can come to the table uh, and that we've been set free from sin and death and the curse that it brought, and that we can be your spotless bride, that we can be your children, that we can be priests and prophets and all those things that you called us out to be, God. And we just thank you for that, and we just praise you, and we give you all honor and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.